Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. For the last two years, we've been journeying through Genesis as a community, delving into the origin stories and histories of our faith. In this series of Genesis, we step into the patriarchal families of Abraham and continue to see how both the promise of God is fulfilled, but also the brokenness of man. Ultimately, we see that even though we are the great promise breakers, he is the great promise keeper. We pray that this message is a blessing. Well, good morning, church. How are we this morning? Good, awesome. My name's Scott. I've not, if I've not met you, I am one of the pastors here at New Life Coolangatta, and we are in part three of our Genesis series. Now, we started this a couple of years ago. We did part one a few years ago, part two last year, and it's part three this year where we're going into the book of Genesis to really find out who is this God right at the beginning of the Bible. And we're actually in week three. But this series is all about God. It's all about God's interaction with this sinful humanity that we find in Genesis. But what it does is it reveals the character and nature of God. It reveals his grace for humanity, that he's always pursuing us, even though we walk away from him a lot of the time. Now, if you've missed out on those last few messages we've preached over the last couple of weeks, we have a Spotify account where you can go and you can listen to our messages there, or you can just check out our website. All of our messages are on our website as well. But this year, we've been exploring the first couple of weeks, the life of Jacob. Week one, we looked at Jacob, how he was called Jacob, and his name means deceiver or, or supplanter or heel grabber, which is like, you know, if someone's running next to you, you sort of give them an ankle tap because you want to get ahead, right? This is what Jacob's like. And he actually deceives his own father to try and take the birthright and the blessing from his brother Esau. And what happened with that, Esau got super angry when he took his birthright and he vowed to kill him. And so week two, back last week, she preached this great message about Jacob having to run away and he's out in the wilderness running away and he has this dream, this dream, this vision of God that these angels are ascending and descending on this staircase and God was there at the time and he says, don't worry, I'm going to make you a great nation. He gives him this beautiful promise. He says, I'm going to be with you. And so these are the first two weeks we look at the life of Jacob And this week, I'm going to be looking at this somewhat of a weird story where Jacob has this weird wrestling match. And we find this weird wrestling match in Genesis 32, starting in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said to him, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Before we get into this story today and this message, I'd love to pray. Would you please join me in prayer? 
Father God, we just thank you for your word that it just reveals your character and your nature. It reveals how you interact with us, God, in a faithful and loving way. So Lord, I pray that you would just help me preach this message today with truth, with grace, and with love, Lord. That in the end, that they wouldn't look to me, they'd only look to you, the one who brings life, and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have Jacob wrestling with God in this story. And I remember just after becoming a Christian, I got saved at 33 years of age. I'm now 45. And um, I remember having this wrestle with God myself. You know, I was working on the wars. I was a warfare. I was a tradie. And, and swearing was just a thing. Like it was just every second word. No one was offended by it. This is how we spoke. It was a language we spoke as tradies. And I remember getting saved and getting convicted of how I actually speak. And the Holy Spirit saying, you're not meant to speak that way as my child. And so I went on this journey of, of stopping swearing, but it was really weird. It was really hard. It was like I was learning a new language because I'd be like, they go, what did you do on the weekend? I went, I went surfing and it was awesome. It felt like I had no power in you know, what I was saying. <laughs> it was like I had to learn this whole new language. But I remember going on this journey and going, no, this is what I'm committing to the Lord. But it was funny, like there were times when I get super angry and it would still pop out. There were times when I'd hurt myself and, and a swear word would slip out. I remember driving home from work one day on the wharves up in Brizzy, coming back to the Gold Coast, and I remember having a wrestle with God. I was like, God, what's going on? Like, I'm done. I'm sick of this. I genuinely don't want to swear anymore. What are you doing? Why can't you fix this in me? Why can't you just snap your fingers and sort this out? I actually don't want to swear anymore. Where are you? And I just remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me and asking me, Scott, are you in? Are you in for the wrestle? Are you in for the fight? And I remember just being humbled by that and going, yes, Lord, no matter how long this takes, if this is my entire life, you're worth the wrestle. What you have did for me on the cross, it's worth the fight if I've got to fight this forever. Have you ever had a wrestle with God before? Think about things in your life that might be sin that you wrestle with or sickness or, or suffering or family dysfunction, your finances or, or your work. Have you ever had that wrestle with God? What was that like for you? You see, here in this story, we had this weird wrestling match between Jacob and God and Jacob seems determined to hold on to God for some reason. And it makes me ask the question, why? Why is he so desperate to hold on to God and not let him go? Well, it's because Jacob is fearing for his life again. In week one, we heard about him deceiving his brother and his brother saying, I'm going to kill you. As soon as our dad dies, I'm coming after you and I'm going to kill you. And so he runs away. So he's fearing for his death right there. And his mum says, hey, go to my brother Laban's house. Go to uh, Padam Aram, which is where um, uh, Jacob's mother had come from. And her brother was living there. And his name is Laban. So he goes, she goes, go there, get a wife, run away from this threat to him. So he does. He runs away. And he ends up getting to Laban's house. And he meets this beautiful girl named Rachel. And he falls in love with Rachel. And he says to Laban, I want to marry Rachel. And Laban goes, cool, you've got to work for me for seven years to get Rachel. And the Bible says that those seven years felt like seven days because he loved her so much. And the seven years are up and he comes to Laban and he's like, hey, give me my wife. And so Laban actually gives him Leah. And he's like, no, 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 no. 
I was working seven years for Rachel and Laban goes, that's not our custom. We don't give the younger before we give the older. You have to take the older first. So this swindler who swindled Esau out of his birthright has now been swindled by Laban. And Laban says, if you want Rachel, you've got to work another seven years for me. And he's like, what? So he does. He works another seven years, but he gets Rachel and he gets Leah and he has all of these kids. He has 11 sons. God blesses him with possessions. And so this moment, he's been there about 20 years with Laban. And God says to him, hey, go back to the land for which I promised you. Go back to your father's house. I will be with you. And so Jacob starts. He leaves. He leaves Laban's house. He leaves that country and he goes back to the land of his father. And on the way, he goes, I'm just going to send some messengers ahead to Esau, some gifts to try and make a peace offering. And so he sends these messengers ahead and they come back. In verse 6, it says, When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him in two groups, the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. You see, this was not a welcoming committee. Esau wasn't coming and going, Yes, my brother's coming back. This was an army. This was an army to come and destroy him. And, and Jacob, being a bit of a you know, schemer, he's like, you know what, I've got a good idea. I'll separate half of my people, half my family and half my flocks, and I'll send them forward first. And if he destroys them, if he slaughters them, we'll get out of here. Imagine that, what that's like. Imagine if you're in that party. Imagine if he's like, oh, you, 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 you go ahead. It's like, thanks, Jacob. We ain't talking after this. Like, if this goes all right, you've just brushed me and put me in the first group. Can you imagine what that feels like? It's like when you're at school and you have two sports teams. You know, they're picking the sports teams and you're like, that's the good, good team and there's the bad team and you're hoping to get on the good team, but you get on the bad team, you're like, this sucks. How much more would it have sucked if you were put on this first team? You're getting sent ahead to be slaughtered. Jacob is afraid and he's absolutely desperate. But here's the beautiful thing. His desperate need it actually turns him to prayer. Verse 9 says, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. For I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. You know, this time, this moment, turns Jacob into this man who goes after God. It turns him to God in prayer. When you're afraid, is, is God your first point of call? Is it your first inclination to, to actually pray? We see here this turning point in Jacob's character. Before he was a schemer, he tried to get everything, gain everything in life through his own strength, through his own scheming. He didn't trust God, but now he turns immediately to God. And he's open and honest with God. He goes, God, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of my brother. He's coming to slay me. And he reminds God of his promise. said, you promised that you would protect me, that you would be with me. And I love there's this humility now in Jacob. He's like, I'm unworthy of your kindness and your faithfulness. 
You see, over the years, of he's learned this kindness and faithfulness to God. Even though he's gone through all these scheming, his own scheming, and people scheming him, and all these different struggles in life, he's actually seen the faithfulness of God, of how God has been so faithful to him. So what do you do in moments of fear, uncertainty, confusion, threat? Do you turn to God? Do we trust in his faithfulness, or does this fear cripple you? and turn you to worldly things. Charles Spurgeon says, Fear is a choice. As Christians, we must choose to trust in God's love and his promises, even when we cannot see the way forward. Do you trust and know God's faithfulness today? Are there times in your life where you've not been able to see the future, where there's been a threat, but afterwards you, you see the grace and the love and the mercy of God that has carried you through? You see, God actually wants us to come to him in prayer for strength and counsel, especially when we're afraid, especially when we don't know what the future holds. You see, 1 Timothy says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do you know God says in his word over 350 times, fear not or do not fear? That's a fear not or do not fear for every single day of the year. God's like, Fear not, I'm actually with you in this. Do we believe that today? But there's still a little bit of fear in Jacob. He can't 100% trust God and his promise to protect him. So he sends his family and livestock ahead of himself just in case Esau attacks. And then we get to this moment. He says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. This is where the story gets a little bit weird. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is a really weird moment where this wrestle happens, right? Like he's left alone, and then all of a sudden he's just wrestling with some guy. Like, there's no context here. It's not like someone's come along and they're arguing about, is KFC better than McDonald's? And they get into a bit of a wrestle match over that. No, it's just like all of a sudden there's just this wrestle happening. So who is this man? Well, we see later in the text that, that it's God. That God has come down in his moment of need. He's come down to answer Jacob's prayer. And Jacob just sees that and just latches onto him. He's just like, I know who you are. I'm going to grab hold of you in my, in my time of need. And they had this like little sort of wrestling match. Do you know that God is looking for wrestlers? He's looking for people to wrestle with him. <laughs> not those sort of wrestlers. That looks like me. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Does not look like me. This is what God is after. God is after wrestlers like this that know that God is there and they will latch onto him no matter what they're going through. This is what I need. I need you, God, in this situation. You see, God loves a good wrestle. God is not afraid of wrestling with us, with our temptations, with our needs, with our thoughts. It's like my young son, Eden. He's like about this big. He's so cute. He loves a good wrestle, right? He just loves wrestling with me and it's fun. And, you know, at any time I could just chuck him against the wall, right? <laughs> like, like he can't overpower me, but I, it's kind of cute. He's like, he thinks he's doing okay and he thinks he's overpowering me. And, and, and he just can't, right? But I allow him to because it's this thing of wrestling and, and he's enjoying himself. In this scenario, God's not overpowered by Jacob, 
But he actually sees Jacob's determination and he allows Jacob to hold on, even though he says, let me go. Why does God say, let me go? He says, let me go to test Jacob. It's a test of faith. It's a test of his determination to hold on regardless of the situation. He's like, let me go. And Jacob's like, nah. Do we know that God is looking for wrestlers? And what are the sort of things that, that we actually wrestle with in our lives? What are the things we, we wrestle with God in? Well, I know for myself, one of them is Scripture, right? Who wrestles with Scripture sometimes? Who wrestles to understand it? Who wrestles with applying it to their lives? Who wrestles with Scripture and, 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 and sort of mulls over it and goes, God, I don't understand it. God's looking for wrestlers. How often do we just go, oh, it's too hard, and we just walk away and we just don't read it? God's not looking for that. God's looking for someone to wrestle with his scripture. God's looking for people who want to wrestle with their sin. You know, like that story at the beginning that I told you. God's just not going to click his fingers. He's like, are we in? God's looking for wrestlers to wrestle with our sin, to turn to righteousness, to turn away from that stuff. God's looking for people to wrestle with pain and suffering. We all go through pain and suffering. And there are times where we just don't understand why are we going through this? And then when we look back later on, we, we see God at work, but at the time we don't see it. God's looking for wrestlers in pain and suffering. In our family, in our relationships, in our work, in our calling, in our purpose in life, in our finances, God wants us to wrestle with our doubts. God's not afraid of doubts. We all have doubts at times, right? Every one of us do. God's not like, oh, can't believe he's got a doubt. God's just not like that. God's like, great, let's wrestle with that. Let's dig into that. Let's do this together. He wants us to wrestle with being obedient to Christ. Let's be real for a minute. It's, it's a struggle and a wrestle to be obedient to God, right? To follow Jesus in all things. It's not easy. Well, you might be wrestling just with the simple concept of God right now. You don't even know if he's real. But he wants you to wrestle. He wants you to keep coming at him. He can handle the wrestle. The Bible says, seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. God's like, bring it on. I'm going to show you my grace, my love, and my acceptance of you. Billy Graham says, God will wrestle with us until we submit to him. He will not let us go until we surrender our will to him. Jacob's wrestle with God is a picture of the spiritual struggle that we all face. The great Billy Graham, even the great Billy Graham admitted that we all face spiritual struggles, spiritual wrestles, each and every one of us. So how do we wrestle with God? Well, we see an example here with Jacob. He's like, comes to God in prayer. God, this is my need. This is my story. This is where I'm at. But you promised this. I need you to fulfill that in my life right now. So we come to God in prayer. Or we come to God in fasting. Silence and solitude where we get away from the things of the world and we focus our attention on God. We have inner reflection Following Jesus, discipleship, how do we wrestle with God? We, we follow him, even though sometimes it's hard. It's through patience. It's through our doubts. It's through our obedience. It's actually through our suffering. This is how we can wrestle with God. James 1 verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish this work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
Here we see in this text, James is telling us, consider it all joy. Who considers wrestling joy? Not many of us, but he's saying, consider it joy. It doesn't feel like it's joyful at the time. But when we have these wrestles, when we wrestle with God, it actually produces something. It produces a testing of our faith. And the times of trial will actually reveal the level of our faith. And they drive us to God. They drive us to God to wrestle with Him. And that produces perseverance, to persevere through these struggles. And that matures our faith. And he says, blessed is the one who wrestles and fights because they receive a promise. There's this promise that we all receive in the end through Jesus Christ. You see, God's up for a wrestle. He's not scared of a good wrestle. And this story of Jacob's wrestle, it actually tells us that if we keep going and persevere, we will be blessed in the end. But the problem is sometimes we just give up too fast, right? We just go, this is too hard. And we go to the world for our answers and for our blessing, even though the blessing was just around the corner if we just held on. Will you hold on to God until you receive your blessing from him? Because there is actually a blessing in the future will make all these trials that we face today seem like absolutely nothing when we see his glory. When we see his glory. Jonathan Safran Foa says, Jacob wrestled because he recognized that the blessings were worth the struggle. He knew that you only get to keep what you refuse to let go of. What you refuse to let go of. God is looking for wrestlers. 27. He says, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Did God not know his name? Was he wrestling with Jacob like, who is this? Who is this weirdo? I'm just walking around and this guy's grabbed onto me. No, he knew it was Jacob, right? This is the second time he's been asked for his name. The first time he lied. He lied to his dad to receive a blessing. He said he was Esau. This time he tells the truth. This time he's admitting who he is. He's saying, I'm humble enough to admit, yeah, that's me. I'm that heel grabber. I'm that deceiver. Question is, is, is that how God sees Jacob? No, because God has a new name for him. God says, that's actually not who you are. That's not how I define you. That's not how I see you. Question is, what names have you given yourself or what names have others given you? Have you been called an idiot? A fool? Stupid? A failure? Hopeless? Unworthy? unlovable. You see, others give us these names and we, we give these names to ourselves and we believe it. And the problem is when we believe these names, we live from that place. We live from that place and we call ourselves these things, oh, I'm just useless, I'm unworthy of any love. And we know this to be true. We see this in kids who have been you know, verbally abused as children and told they're nothing, told they're worthless. They grow up lacking confidence. They grow up thinking, this is who I am because this is all I've been told my whole life. The question is, does God call you any of those names? No. What does he call you? He calls you beloved. He calls you precious, chosen, elect. He calls you a new creation in Jesus. He calls you his children. You're his son and his daughter. You are family. He calls you his bride, this close relationship. And he calls you loved. What if we believed those labels? What if we lived our life from that place of being fully known by God and walking in our new identity? And God says to Jacob, let me change your name from heel grabber or deceiver and give you a new identity, Israel, my chosen people. 
And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You see, Jacob's life has been this struggle with God. He's been struggled with humans. He's been struggling with his brother. He's been struggling with Laban. He's been struggling with God in and through all of this. This is a prophetic name for the nation of Israel. When we look at the centuries after this, the nation of Israel struggled with God. They struggle with humans. They struggle with other nations. They walk away from God constantly. And God keeps inviting them back because he is faithful and patient and merciful and loving. We have this beautiful God inviting them back even though they struggle with him. You know, the literal meaning of the name Israel actually means God prevails. God prevails. After all Jacob's struggles, he finally submits He submits to God and God actually prevails through his life. You see, God prevailed through the life of Abraham. Abraham tried to take it into his own hands and and make this son come that God promised. And God's like, no, 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 I told you I was going to bring this son. And God prevailed in the end. God prevailed in Isaac's life, in Jacob's life. He prevailed in the nation of Israel's life, where he continues to draw them back to him because of his loving kindness. God prevailed in the death and resurrection of Christ on the cross. God prevailed over sin and death for you and me. And we know that God will prevail in all things in the end when he restores all things and we have a new heaven and earth where we live with God face to face again. You see, nothing can stop the awesome love, mercy and grace of God because God prevails. And then Jacob, he asked, he says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. God's like, you know who I am. That's why you grabbed me. You knew you needed me. That's why you grabbed onto me and you will not let go. I never told my name to your fathers. You know that. No one can describe me. No one can define me. I'm beyond your scope of perception and intelligence. There was no one before me to name me. I am who I am. There's another time where someone asked God what his name is. It's Moses later on in Exodus where he's bringing the nation of Israel out of captivity. He says, who do I say sent me? And God goes, look, I am who I am. It's this declaration of his infinite power that he's always existed, that he doesn't have a name that we can put on him. Jacob actually knew who he was wrestling with. And we know that because in verse 30 it says, so Jacob called that place Peniel saying is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Jacob had an encounter with God. This moment is the moment. It's the birth of the nation of Israel. It's the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise to make his descendants a great nation. In the end, Jacob has 12 sons and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so what was the blessing? What was the blessing in this encounter with God? Well, it was. It was that. It was the encounter with God. It was the actual wrestle itself. You see, that wrestle produced a change in heart. The blessing was he finally realized his utter dependence on God and not on himself. And this blessing was this new identity, not given by men, but was given by God. Charles Spurgeon says, Jacob's name is a reminder that our identity is not determined by our past mistakes or shortcomings, but by our relationship with God and the new life he gives us through Christ. I mean, that's the gospel right there. Through Christ, your past is done. Whatever names people have given you, whatever names you've given yourself, they are dismissed. And you are a child of God. This name change signifies this transformation in Jacob's character. It reflects his newfound humility 
and his submission to God and his recognition that God is actually sovereign in all of this. The blessing was the wrestle. You see, God's looking for wrestlers. Verse 31 says, The sun arose above him and he, as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So the Israelites, they don't eat the, the socket of the hip in any of the animal that they consume because of this story. Remember the wrestle at the start? He's wrestling, he's like, let me go. He's like, no, and it says he touched his hip and, and it wrenched his hip. Jacob's hip was actually damaged in this wrestle. Why is that? Well, this was actually a test again for Jacob to see if he would hold on through pain and suffering. And he actually did. Will you hold on to God in this wrestle, even if there's pain and suffering? Will you hold on to God and go, yeah, this hurts, but I actually trust you. Will you stand the test when you're struggling with what you're going through? When it really hurts, when you, when you get scarred from that stuff, will you still hold on to God? This was a test for Jacob, but he held on no matter how hard it was. You know, God's looking for wrestlers. Why is it that when we truly wrestle with God, he leaves us with a limp? It's because when we truly wrestle with God, we're actually humbled. We realize that God is God and we're not. You see, God strikes and wounds our, our pride, our selfishness, our dependence on earthly securities. And he makes us realize our utter dependence on his love, his mercy, and his grace. And that produces a recognition of our own failings, our own weaknesses, our own imperfections, our own limps, you could call them. Timothy Keller says, Jacob's limp is a symbol of the transformative power of God's grace. When we submit ourselves to God, he can turn our weakness into strength. Do you have a weakness? Do you have a, do you have a limp? I know I do. I have plenty of weaknesses. But I love it when Paul comes to God and he's crying out, wrestling with God about something and, and he's saying, take this from me, God. And God says, hey, my power is made perfect in your weakness. You actually just need to rely on me. You need to rely on my power and strength. You see, we can wrestle with all, all we want with God, but it's God that prevails and praise God for that. Because if it were up to me, I'd surely stuff it all up. If my life was up to me without the power and the grace of God, it would be an absolute mess. And Jacob's limp is a reminder of his encounter with the living God. And so I would say embrace your limp. Embrace your suffering. For when we do, we release the power of God in our lives. Hold on even when it hurts. So with this new blessing and this new identity and this new humility in the form of a limp, Jacob actually continues to meet Esau. That next day, and, and as he's coming, he sees Esau in the distance. And he just bows down seven times before him as he comes to him. It's this act of submission. It's this act of asking for forgiveness. It's this act of humility. But in verse 4 and 33, it says, But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children said, Who are these with you? Jacob answered, they are the children that God has graciously given your servant. You see, 20 years had passed. It was a long time. Jacob tried to swindle Esau out of his inheritance, but Esau claimed it all because Jacob wasn't there. But then Jacob comes, there's this beautiful scene, this act of humility, of asking for forgiveness, bowing down, and there's this beautiful scene of love and reconciliation as, as they embrace each other. 
John Piper says, Jacob and Esau's story shows us that when we humble ourselves and seek forgiveness, God can restore even the most broken relationships. You know, the most broken relationship in all of history was the relationship between God and humanity because of sin. And God has been on a mission to restore that relationship since the moment it was broken in the Garden of Eden. And we see the pinnacle of that mission in the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, through Jesus and his death on the cross, God prevailed over sin and death for humanity. This is what we, we, we celebrate in the gospel, that, that Jesus himself humbled himself. Like Jacob humbled himself before Esau, God humbled himself, took on flesh, humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross, the Bible says. That he would come in the flesh and, and he wrestled with men. And he wrestled with God. When he wrestled with men, we had Pharisees wrestling with him, not believing him, hating him, spitting on him. In the end, nailing him to a cross. And we see Jesus in the garden before he goes to that cross, the weight of sin starts bearing on him and it's, it's, it's unbearable. And he wrestles with God. He cries out and says, this is unbearable, God. If you could take this suffering away from me, take it away. Take this cup of suffering away, but not my will. Your will be done. We see Jesus wrestle with man and with God, but ultimately he goes to the cross for the sin of the world out of pure love. He goes, I'm going to embrace that cross that you may have relationship with me and everyone who repents and puts their faith and trust in Jesus receives that free forgiveness. You see, through the cross, God prevailed over sin and death for you and me. Does a band want to come up? I love Romans 8. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or Esau coming to destroy me? As is written, for your sake we face death all day long and we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers Neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the gospel. This is the beauty of the gospel that nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are found in Him. We are secure. God actually holds on to us. It's God that has prevailed. You want something to hold on to? You want something to wrestle with? You want something to not ever let go of? Then hold on to the cross. Say, no, I'm not letting go of this until you bless me. Fight for that in all of life. Fight for that when you're suffering. Fight for that when, you, when things aren't going right around you. Fight for that even when it hurts. Even when you're suffering or in pain. Because the future blessing is incomprehensible when we see His glory. When He makes all things new. When we stand in the presence of our Saviour. It's going to be a moment that you cannot, I cannot even fathom right now. I love the apostles. They're just so real. In 1 Peter, Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. He's like, don't, don't think this is weird. I go through it. You go through it. Your brothers and sisters go through it. Everyone goes through this. It's, it's not strange that we go through this, that we suffer like Christ, but there is some hope that we actually hold on to. 
There is the hope of the resurrection. There is the hope of Christ that we have in our hearts. You see, God's looking for wrestlers. He's not afraid of a good wrestle because He is faithful and He is true and He has all power to bring about the blessing that He's actually promised you. So don't fear. Do not fear. Wrestle, grab hold of God. Refuse to let Him go. Trust the names that He's given you, not the labels that you've given yourself or the labels other people have given you. Endure the pain and the suffering that comes along with that. And let those, those weaknesses, those limps, those, those scars be reminded that we desperately need Him throughout all of life. For He is faithful. For He is faithful. Max Licardo says, Jacob's wrestling with God is a reminder that our struggles in life are not in vain. They have a purpose and can lead to spiritual growth. Do you know how we grow as disciples of Jesus? We let these moments, these moments where we need to grasp onto God, help us grow in perseverance and maturity and faith. We grab onto God because God is faithful. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for these examples in your scriptures, God, of people wrestling with you, wrestling with you in so many different ways, in, in trials, in temptations, wrestling with you in faith, and Lord, we thank you that in and through the wrestle, you prevail in all things, God. Holy Spirit, I just pray you just come in this moment. Would you, would you minister to us? I just sense that there's some people here that they're wrestling with family. They're wrestling with relationships and they're wondering where God is. And, and, and some other people that they're wrestling with with purpose, like what's the purpose of my life? And God has a purpose for you and, and God wants to enter into these relationships too. As we see with Esau and Jacob, God brings restoration. So if that is you, as we pray, can I, can I just ask you to hold your hand up? I'd just love to pray for you in this moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think there's a couple more, I'll just wait. Father God, you see those hands. You see the struggle they're going through, God. I pray as you met Jacob in that wrestle, as you came down, would you come down by the power of your Holy Spirit right now? Would they just sense and know your presence? Would they sense your peace that passes understanding? Lord, I just pray that you would endow them with wisdom, with discernment, with grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that you would just bless them that they would actually know your presence they would know that they've come in to an encounter with you and that you will work in and through them and you might be in this moment you might be wrestling with the whole concept of, of God himself you may never have given your life to Jesus you may have never accepted his love his mercy his grace and in this moment God's reaching out saying I actually want a relationship with you I want to redeem you. I want to restore you. I want to forgive you of our sins. I want to call you my son or my daughter. So if that's you, I'd just love you to put your hand up. I'd love to pray for you as well. If you can do that now. Father, we come before you knowing you are a gracious God. 
that you are abounding in mercy and grace. And no matter how far we've walked away from you, God, when we turn around, you are right there next to us. That you are present with us. That your desire is to wrestle with us, that we would grow in your likeness. That we would become more people, more like Jesus. God, we thank you for examples like this, that that we can see that, that you're so loving and so graceful that we can wrestle with you in all things. So Holy Spirit, would you help us to be more like Jesus each and every day? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How about you stand with us as we worship? This song is called Another in the Fire. It's about the fact that that God is in the fire with us. When we go through trials, temptations, and these struggles of life, that God is right there. He wants to be with us. He wants to support us. He wants to empower us to live in His mercy and His grace. Let's sing together. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.